0: Good afternoon, we're here at the 19th Annual Congress of the European Association of Hospital Pharmacy and I have here Duncan McRobbie who's here to tell us about the lecture he gave this morning. Would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, Thank you, Uh, yes my name is Duncan McRobbie, I'm the Associate Chief Pharmacist at Geysers and Thomas's Hospital and also the lead cardiovascular pharmacist. The talk I gave this morning was entitled the drugs don't work if the patients don't take them And the subtitle of that is how we can improve patient's adherence. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Duncan is now going to talk us through some of the key slides that he gave this morning at his lecture. Clearly, non-adherence to medicines is a huge problem. Uh, medicines can't be effective if patients don't use them, and we need to undertake double-blind placebo-controlled trials to ensure that the effectiveness of medicines is not based upon any placebo effect that patients may gain from the, the medication. There's a varying estimates of the size of the problem, but most commentators agree that anywhere between a third and a half of medicines for long-term conditions are not used as recommended. Between a fifth and a third of patients don't adhere to medication uh, regimens that are curative or relieve symptoms. And about a third of patients will fail to follow regimens that are designed to prevent health problems. Clearly, poor adherence has significant consequences to the clinical outcomes for patients. They don't gain the benefit that would be achieved and has been demonstrated in clinical trials if they don't take the medicines. Poor adherence also has a significant economic impact, both for the health economy, for patients not gaining the health benefits, but also for pharmaceutical companies who are clearly not selling as many of their drugs as they could. Adherence is difficult to measure and even more difficult to ensure. There's a number of key studies that have demonstrated the the drop-off rate in terms of adherence. A key Canadian study looking at hypertension in patients showed that after four years the length of the study only about 40% of patients were still taking the antihypertensive medicine and the drop off rate was significant within the first six months or so about 15% of patients had already stopped taking the medicines. Another study from my colleague uh, Nick Barber at UCL demonstrates that about 30% of patients stop taking medicines for long-term conditions within the first 10 days of the prescription being written. NICE, working uh, with the Royal College of General Practitioners, actually produced guidance on best practice involving patients' decisions about prescribed medicines and how to support adherence. They have four key strands to this. Improving patient communication, which means that we need to behave differently and uh, adapt our consultation style with patients. Ensuring patients are increasingly involved in the decisions that we make about their medicines in particular. Ensuring the patient's understanding uh, is improved and in particular, making judgments around their knowledge, beliefs and concerns about medicines and then clearly providing appropriate information in a way that patients can understand. Medication non-adherence is often divided into unintentional and intentional non-adherence. Unintentional non-adherence includes the capacity of the patient to be able to take the medicines and things like forgetting to take the medicines They can't open the packet or they can't read the instructions, and in some countries they can't afford the medicines, all fall into the category of unintentional non-adherence. Intentional non-adherence is where the patient makes a specific decision not to take the medicines. Pharmacists have actually largely done a really good job of ensuring that unintentional non-adherence is actually addressed. Things like reminder charts, targeted labelling with large letters for people with visual impairment, compliance aids for patients that forget and generic substitution all improve uh, patients' unintentional non-adherence. Intentional non-adherence, however, is far more difficult to address and we are left making uh, remarks for people who choose not to take medicines like you must or you really should or please take the medicines. Addressing intentional non-adherence requires us to understand patients' illness and treatment beliefs. And these have been clearly described in the literature. Uh, Hager and his colleagues in 2003 describe illness beliefs, including the identity, the cause, the timeline, the consequence, and the cure and control, and treatment beliefs, including the necessity how much do I need these medicines, and the concerns, so what are the potential problems of taking these medicines. And clearly there's a large number of influences on these beliefs, including where patients get their information from, and nowadays uh, social media is a a large influence on that, Uh, what other people think, as well as cultural influences on medicines and uh, treatment beliefs. The satisfaction with information provided, rather than necessarily the quality of information provided, has been positively correlated with the improvement in self-reported adherence. Papers by both Bowskill in 2007 and Rob Horn in 2001 describe the satisfaction with information about medicine's scale as a tool where we can identify how satisfied people are with their medication information. The satisfaction with with information about medicine scale, or SIMS for short, is divided into two sections, although it is one uh, questionnaire. Actions and usage addresses issues like what is your medicine called, what is your medicine for, how does it work, how it works, how long it will take to act, how you can tell if it's working and how long you need to take your medicine for. Further issues around how to use your medicines and how to get a a further supply are all issues that have been identified as improving patient satisfaction. Potential problems associated with medicines are addressed in the second part of the SIMS. And they include concerns that patients may have about medicines, like whether the medicine has any side effects, what are the risks of getting side effects, what should you do if you get a side effect, whether you can drink alcohol while taking the medicine, whether it interacts with any of the other medicines the patient might be taking about, whether the medication will make the patient feel drowsy or affect their sex life, and what you should do if they forget to take a dose. Using that questionnaire, we looked at our cardiac patients at Geyser St. Thomas's Hospital and identified those who actually received too much information about the right amount of information, too little information, didn't receive any information, or didn't need any information. Using about right or non-needed as patients being satisfied, we were able to identify that in the action and uses part of the questionnaire, we largely got good results. However, using the same questionnaire and looking at the potential problems, we were able to identify that a significant proportion of patients either got too little information or didn't get any information when they required some around issues like whether the patient had any side effects and the risk of getting side effects. So rather than to spend more time giving people information, We took a fairly innovative approach uh, which was about empowering patients to ask questions about their medicines. We did this by the introduction of a questionnaire which described the sort of questions patients may have asked in the past and making it okay for patients to ask questions. We also ensured that Information provided to patients was targeted to those specific needs for individual patients rather than telling them what we thought they needed to know. As part of the questionnaire, there was also signposting to other information sources on the internet or a a telephone hotline that they could call if they had any specific questions about their medicines. Using the introduction of that information leaflet and then retesting we were able to show an improvement in the patient's satisfaction both in terms of the actions and uses but specifically and probably more importantly in addressing patients concerns about the problems that might arise. Moving on to the new oral anticoagulants the published data so far demonstrates that anywhere between a fifth and a quarter of patients drop out of the clinical trials. There's limited evidence as to why they drop out of the clinical trials. A small number of patients will have died during the trial, uh, but these numbers are relatively small. Using the Satisfaction with Information questionnaire, we conducted a survey in the UK Uh, comparing the satisfaction that patients have with the information they receive about new oral anticoagulants, low molecular weight heparins, and warfarin. From our data collected in this multi-site survey, we demonstrated that the actions and uses scores for all of the anticoagulants seem to be very similar. However, the satisfaction with warfarin seem to be far higher than with new oral anticoagulants or with the low molecular weight heparins when it comes to the potential problem scores for these. We are yet to reconduct that study to see whether the questionnaire that we showed with cardiac patients will show the same improvement in this group. In terms of consultation for the new oral anticoagulants There's obvious concern that the lack of monitoring will mean that the reinforcement of adherence that currently occurs with warfarin through anticoagulation uh, clinics and INR monitoring is no longer there. In order to support this, the European Heart Rhythm Association has produced a practical guide on the use of new oral anticoagulants for patients with non-valvular atrial fibrillation. Uh, This can be found uh, in the European Heart Journal Uh, in 2013. This stresses the importance of not only monitoring the patient but also ensuring that the compliance with patients. Clearly the reduced satisfaction scores with new oral anticoagulants compared to warfarin could mean that there's a lower adherence rate. We've not actually tested this although other studies Extrapolating other studies may indicate that if satisfaction is a marker for adherence, then the lower satisfaction scores may mean less adherence. New oral anticoagulants represent a significant benefit for patients. In particular, they are at least as effective as warfarin and don't require the monitoring. However, they do represent an increasing challenge for assuring adherence. In the UK, at least, most of, all of the new oral anticoagulants have some form of patient alert card and there are websites that those motivated patients can access to improve their adherence. Assuring adherence is multimodal. It's complex and it's time-consuming. Improving our communication skills, motivational interviewing techniques, adapting our consultation style to meet the needs of the patients is clearly important. It's also important that all healthcare professionals increase patients' involvement and in particular avoid assumptions about their preferences. Understanding the patient's knowledge, their beliefs and concerns about medicines is in particularly important So understanding the patient's concerns and addressing these can alleviate the patient's worries about taking medicines. Clearly, there's a need to provide information in a way that patients can understand it. We undertook this brief intervention, and it appeared to make some improvement in patient's satisfaction with the information they got about medicines. Clearly, too little information may indicate a training need for the pharmacy staff themselves in order for them to be able to address the information needs of patients more comprehensively. If patients didn't receive any information, that may indicate a service need, and we need to ensure that the importance of patient adherence is high on on our own agenda to ensure that we maximize medicines use in this area. So by way of conclusion, I hope we would all agree that the medicines can't work if the patients don't take them. Medicines non-adherence is divided largely into unintentional and intentional non-adherence. And as pharmacists we've, over a number of years, focused on the unintentional non-adherence and we do this quite well by providing compliance aids and overcoming patient-specific barriers to medicines taking. However, intentional non-adherence where the patient doesn't want to take the medicine is far more difficult. Patients' perceptions of necessity for medicines and concerns about using their medicines can increase intentional non-adherence and pharmacists may be ideally placed to discuss these with patients. However, in order to do this, we need to ensure that our pharmacy staff are appropriately trained to deal with patients' information needs or to refer them on to more skilled practitioners where appropriate. We also need to identify ways of ensuring time is allocated for dealing with these patient information needs about medicines.